As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. friends to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Chris Welsh, joined by Brandon Funston and <gasps> crickets. No Jake Seeley. Jake Seeley is stuck in New York somewhere. Someone help him. He went to Flex, and I don't think he can leave, so it's just us. Brandon, you, I think, were out hanging with the crew, weren't you? Didn't I see pictures of you and the whole crew at Flex? Talk to me. Yes, uh, we had a great time. Uh, good, successful Flex draft event. Then... Uh, post-draft, Jake, uh, myself, uh, a few others from the Athletic Fantasy crew went to dinner and uh, proceeded to exit dinner. It was on floor 14 of uh, this building. It was like a rooftop uh, restaurant. Oh, fancy. Yeah, I got into the elevator. Someone had said out loud as we were walking in to the elevator, um, you know, capacity of eight, and there was a couple that was just standing there, and so they squeezed into the elevator with us. That made nine. No. And we hit the down button, and and we were just stuck there. And it turned no. out to be almost an hour. Almost an hour of being in the elevator together. Uh, was probably close to 100 degrees at a certain point, and <laughs> we were all sweating and uh, wasn't sure how long it was going to be. We were, you know, we were still a little bit away from designating a P corner, but uh, but it was it was pretty interesting. So is um, Jake still stuck in the elevator? Is that why he's not on the show today? I, it's possible. I, as soon as that elevator door opened, I just, you know, I I just got out of there without looking back. So you were we, so you were stuck in an elevator with Jake for an hour. Oh wait a minute! No, actually, Jake Jake got lucky because he I think he went uh, coordinated a SummerSlam uh, viewing event mm. and. He left like 10 minutes before we were done. Mm, that's a little convenient. Yeah. Uh, so you guys so all get stuck that- in an elevator and Jake's not there? Hmm. And you know, Jake, that's actually a blessing in disguise because in a crowded elevator being stuck, Jake's probably your worst, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the worst bystander of that group. It's what I was referring to. There's, <laughs> there are little. They're not. It's a small list of things I would rather have going on than being stuck. I love Jake, but being stuck in an elevator for an hour, I don't think so. No. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, Time yeah. changes and that type of stuff. I don't think I would be here for. So who were you? Were you stuck with like Nando? Nando and, and uh, Andrew Dewitt and Dan. Danny S from the the, the sports betting crew. And, yeah, I'm trying to uh, figure out how good of a of an elevator this is. Right, and now. Austin Mock, who you know does a lot of the betting stuff. Um, it was okay. a pretty solid crew, and there was another couple. They were sort of a young married couple. They were out, you know, had a couple of young kids, and they were excited to be out without the kids for the first time in a long time. So they <laughs> so rolled much. with the punches. Everybody was pretty cool. We had one guy in the group who was uh, claustrophobic, and I will I won't say who it was, but you know. Closed his eyes, meditated, did a pretty good job of that. But um, mostly, we joked for, you know, most of the time with in the back of our minds, going, "I wonder how long this thing can 
could drag out. So which one of the guys immediately was like, "Let's make a bet." If you have all these betting people, nobody was like, "Let's bet on how long we're in here." Uh, it was kind of a sort of an ongoing theme. Like, I wonder how long it's going to be until, like I said, yeah. we have to designate a pee corner. How long is it going to be till we're literally that stripping like down to our underwear because it's so so dang hot in here? Um, but yeah, we got rescued after about fifty minutes. Um, we were all sweating. We directly got off on the 13th floor because we were stuck between the 13th and 14th, went straight down the stairs, did not test the other elevator there, just like went down 13 floors, went across the street to a bar and, and drank like we were, you know, a band of brothers who just, you know, had survived some, some, you know, some tough warfare. But, uh, uh, but other than that, we, you know, it was actually. Otherwise flex was great. Otherwise flex was great. Yeah. And that, right, did that you win actually your draft? makes a good story. Uh, I thought I did. I, I really did. I, I loved my draft. So, um, yeah, we'll see. That's usually a curse, they say, right? When you come out of your draft thinking that you just mm-hmm. killed it. That's How often does that work out? Yeah, I've got mine next week. So I'm nice and bright and early, by the way. So the times have changed, apparently. So uh, oh. bright and early on the West Coast for me, which... Uh, Wow. Looking I, super forward to <laughs> elevator or waking up. At, <laughs> there was one that was going to be like 6 a.m. on the West Coast. And it was like, come on, guys. But that's not mine, luckily. So uh, yeah. flex drafts over the weekend in New York. We got some more flex coming up on the online ones next week, which I'll be a part of. And Jake should be back with us next week. We can talk a little bit more flex. But we are here to end our series on division previews. And we're going down south. We're going down south for both the NFC and the AFC. Breaking down these bad boys, the biggest fantasy questions attached to the teams through the divisions. And then we'll probably be getting heavy into the final draft prep. This is the month. This is when things are going on. We'll be going through all of those things here. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Don't want to miss any of the action. Definitely want to hear uh, what happened to Jake, why he's stuck in New York. You'll find that out next week. And go to theathletic.com. You guys can sign up for as little as just like two bucks, I think, a month. And you can get access to all of the articles. Jake's ranks, projections, really everything to get you prepped for fantasy football this year. So make sure you go check it out at theathletic.com. Brandon, let's get into it. We're going down south, and we'll start with the AFC. Biggest fantasy question, starting with the Houston Texans. So how about this? You tell me what you're doing here with Houston, because there's the Pierce situation. The thing I look at is who and how do you approach wide receivers? Is there anything of interest? The most interest might be Dalton Schultz. So you tell me what you take out of Houston, if anything. I look at Houston and the Cardinals as both kind of like blech situations overall. So what say you? Yeah, a team that averaged 17 points per game. I believe that was second last in the league. Um, you bring in you know, a, a fairly well-regarded rookie quarterback, but he's going to be a rookie quarterback. And, you know, that's the ceiling on the passing numbers is going to be capped pretty low um i'll be honest i've done a few drafts so far real live drafts and i have multiple shares of john mechie because he's kind of my my last my last yeah. pick I, I like the flyer because i think there is a number one receiver spot wide open there um i'm not sure i haven't been interested in dalton schultz away from that dallas offense and dak prescott i haven't i loved Damian Pierce last year, I don't love that. Something about that Devin Singletary signing just makes me feel there's there's going to be a split there. He's a De- Devin Singletary is an excellent pass blocker. He's a good receiver. I think you're going to see a very delineated uh, you know roles there. So like I I don't see the upside on Damian Pierce being as as high as I would would have liked it. Um, and I just seem to end up going in a little bit different direction around the time when Damian Pierce should be going off the board. So really, uh, I'm just, you know, it's I'm rolling the dice on the receiving core, and the guy I like the most of that crew is John Mechie. Yeah, I agree with most of everything you said here because, like, the top guys I've, I don't think in one single draft I've done if I drafted Damian Pierce, Singletary is a nice safety net option. I've never gone in on, like, Robert Woods. I'm not interested in that. John Mechie, incredible route runner, healthy that seems like a guy. I guess I, I look at that under a rookie quarterback and I think of safety nets. And that's why a pass catching third down back in Devin Singletary makes a lot of sense to me. That's why a, a 
potentially more inside great route runner in John Mechie makes sense to me. That's also why Dalton Schultz makes sense to me. Rookie quarterbacks and safety net tight ends are peanut butter and jelly in my mind. And Dalton Schultz is a great pass catcher. And I think in the red zone, that's another guy that you look at. I think he is the ultimate safety net. So, you know, I don't know if there's insane upside because this offense kind of stinks in general. I don't think any of these guys are great uh, upside guys, but they're all cheap. And that's the difference. There's not a... Outside of Damian Pierce, there's not a player that is expensive in general. Dalton Schultz, obviously here, is barely uh, tied in two. I don't think. I think as far as like consensus rank goes uh, on ECR, he is the 11th. Okay, so he's right there. John Mechie is a wide receiver in the 60s, and Singletary is pretty far down that. Though I, I want the cheap options for bench strength, but there's no real insane upside off of this team, which is tough. Yeah, I'm just looking at my tight end rankings. I do have Dalton Schultz 14th uh, at tight end, so I'm not really out on him either. I, I kind of didn't realize I had him that high, but like I guess I thought about it like you did at one point and deliberated on it for a second and came to the realization um, that the tight end could be could be C.J. Stroud's best friend. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't hate Dalton Schultz. Yeah, and it's a tough team to kind of balance. So let's go over to the Tennessee Titans. Did DeAndre Hopkins ruin Traylon Burks or did DeAndre Hopkins create value on Traylon Burks? Because he was a very popular early sleeper pick into the offseason to re-break out. DeAndre Hopkins has taken some of that steam off. So what side of the uh, coin do you sit on for Traylon Burks? Well, I think he was clearly set up to be the alpha if there was no DeAndre Hopkins. So I would rather have the no DeAndre Hopkins alpha version of Traylon Burks. I, I I get what you're saying. I think, you know, obviously is Derrick Henry still there. You think about back in the day with Ryan Tannehill, it was A.J. Brown and it was Corey Davis. And they had some good years, but Corey Davis is upside as the kind of the number two in that group. And sometimes, you know, it took a little while for A.J. Brown to kind of establish himself as the clear number one. I think there was a year or two where they were sort of, you know, sort of a, in tandem a bit. But, like, the thing about DeAndre Hopkins is I think he's he's the kind of guy who becomes an even bigger target hog than A.J. Brown was there. And I just don't think there's Corey Davis-type number two receiver upside if DeAndre Hopkins is health, healthy in this offense and they're doing their same old thing where it's going to start, you know, it's going to start with Derrick Henry anyways. I think, you know, I think Corey Davis was, you know, typically like a 65 catch, nine, eight, eight or 900 yard guy. I don't quite think... Traylon Burks has quite that upside. I think DeAndre Hopkins, like I said, when he's in a place, he ends up really dominating target share for good reason. I love DeAndre Hopkins. If he's healthy, I think he's got another year or two of just being a guy that's just going to move the chains and Ryan Tannehill is going to love it and playing off of Derrick Henry. I think that's going to be a highly targeted receiver. And uh, so Traylon Burks, to me, I think he, he's hurt a lot more by DeAndre Hopkins than if where do you have Hopkins? He's 23rd and half PPR consensus ranks right now. I think I have Hopkins quite a bit higher. I'm inside the top 20 on him, um, and I'm pulling it up right now. But uh, I am uh, I am 17. Okay, so let me do a couple who'd you rathers. DeAndre Hopkins or Debo Samuel? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre, well, that's probably going to be the answer then. DeAndre Hopkins or DJ Moore? DeAndre Hopkins. All right, let me push the envelope. DeAndre Hopkins or Keenan Allen? I have Keenan Allen one behind DeAndre Hopkins. Aha, I thought we might get there. I thought that's where my okay. So and you I have are very Amari much Cooper in. one spot ahead of DeAndre Hopkins. So I I kind of see DeAndre Hopkins in that Keenan Allen Amari Cooper uh, combo, and you know I think you could you could probably split hairs and and move those guys in any order, but that's what kind of where I see him. Yeah, I would say like uh, he's probably a tier higher for you than in other spots where maybe the rank isn't like it. I mean, the rank is important. It's a little bit more important because it's over the 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 where kind of the relative consensus is. But the bigger thing is he might be in a next tier where I think some people would keep him in a tier of like McLaurin and maybe Judy. You've got him up in that higher tier. What, what, let me ask you this one real quick. Calvin Ridley or him? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, so it is DeAndre Hopkins uh, because that leads to a bigger question. You know what? I'll actually just jump right to them with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Should Calvin Ridley 
be a guy that's going ahead of Christian Kirk. This is more based on a question as well. Should Calvin Ridley be as high as he is in ranks right now? 18 consensus half PPR wide receiver. I think that's crazy. I mean, the guy hasn't played in two years. Like, not only did he have the, the gambling stuff, but, you you know, he had some emotional side things where he questioned whether he even wanted to be in the NFL. And so to kind of, like, return him to sort of where he was at before all this stuff went down, I think is giving him a lot of the benefit of the doubt, uh, especially when you look at Christian Kirk and how good he was last year. And, you know, I think he had 130 targets and like he has the pre-established relationship with Trevor Lawrence and in Trevor Lawrence's first really kind of breakout year. So, and then there's also, also Evan Ingram. I just think that, for Calvin Ridley to come in and be drafted where he is would be and push Christian Kirk basically sort of out of the equation. Like I would much rather draft Christian Kirk, who is going what, like wide receiver thirty? Is that yeah? I would much uh, rather. I'll give you the exact number. He's actually, I think he's actually lower. Let's see, Kirk. I have to do a search here. No, you're right, twenty nine. Okay, so Calvin Ridley at eighteen or Christian Kirk at wide receiver twenty nine. Like I think those guys could end up with very comparable numbers i'd much rather have christian kirk at 29 and maybe calvin ridley bests him um by a little bit but i don't think it'll be enough to kind of make up that gap looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, one I think that's close and I'm curious your take on is um, I'm surprised there's such a big gap between Calvin Ridley and Christian Watson. You know, Christian Watson, who gets to like, I suppose you could theorize it, the number one, but like, you know, in, in practice, he's like the number one wide receiver there on a team that have, yes, two core running backs, but are still going to pass the ball. And he's kind of the primary guy who also stretches the field. There's like an eight spot wide receiver or seven spot wide receiver difference between the two. Who do you prefer, Ridley or Watson? Kind of a bad guy to ask because I'm not really a big Watson guy, not necessarily because I don't think that, you know, he's talented, but like he is a guy that had 41 catches. He had nine touchdowns. Like it's like I can't sort of get Chase Claypool out of my mind a little bit, you know, remember his rookie season. Um, But Man, it's such a such an unknown at the quarterback spot there. I think you're going to see Green Bay really lean into their backfield a lot more. Like, I'm not high on Christian Watson. I'm not high on Calvin Ridley. I'm not going to be rostering either of those guys unless they fall insanely low uh, compared to their ADP. But um, like, I'd, I'd rather okay, have, so rank this. I'd rather have Ridley. Who? Okay, so now let's throw in Drake London. So Watson, London, Ridley. How do you rank the three? I'm guessing. Um, well, I'll let you Gosh. I like, I would rank based upon ADP value, I'd rank Drake, Drake London number one. Like, I think there's a decent chance that Ridley could end up outdoing Drake London, but like, not again, London's what, mid 20s ADP? Like 24, 25? He's right, he's right above Watson. He's 24. So how it goes is Calvin is the highest at 18. London is 24th in ECR. Watson is 25th, all in a similar tier. Yeah, and Drake London, I kind of was just looking back at his numbers. I kind of forgot how strongly he finished. And, you know, you look at the last month, month and a half of the season, and most of that was with Desmond Ritter. Some some really strong games there. Um, he is the clear he is the clear go-to receiver in that offense and sort of uniquely positioned 
to be the guy that should dominate downfield targets. Uh, I mean, the other guys are there are going to be a lot more short area, but there's some really strong weapons in the short area there that I think could really work out well for London. So I'm sort of most optimistic of London out of that group. Uh, the other question with the Jags is Travis Etienne. Are uh, you a stan or are you pan? Are you in or out on Travis Etienne? You know, some big words also said about the growth of this team and the you know theoretical 1,600-plus yards giving him the full go, but then Tank Bigsby goes out and has like a 70-yard touchdown in practice, I think, yesterday, and it kind of gets people going. So where do you sit on the Travis Etienne side? Well, I'm a, I'm I'm more of a pan than a stan. I'm not going to probably end up with him anywhere either. I mean, he's kind of still in that buzzy world. He had a good year last year, but didn't have a game in which he had more than three catches, which is weird for a guy who was lauded as basically he could play running back or receiver. He's that that talented and, and that versatile, and so it didn't really like manifest itself on the receiving side last year. And now we bring in Calvin Ridley. The other thing was, and I wish I had the numbers right. He was one of the worst, along with him and Ken Walker, for guys that got a lot of shots at the goal line on carries, like inside the five-yard line. He was had one of the worst conversion rates. And then they bring in a, a guy called Tank in the draft. And you're like, is he going to even touch the ball uh, at, you know, down close to the goal? Is, it, is that just going to be automatically Tank Bigsby's role? And so – I start to see that the you know I start to see the upside waning a bit with Travis Etienne. I think he could be even a little bit more specialized this year. Yeah, I mean you do worry about that. I'm trying to look here. Um, let's see, like red zone percentage. Yeah, the Ken Walker. Ken Walker was, and they brought in Zach Charbonneau. I mean the Seahawks brought in Zach Charbonneau. So both teams that had really bad running backs at converting short area potential goal line carries uh, brought in. Really big backs in the draft. So here was your number of, and and you got to kind of pan through like real starters. That red zone carries though. Or actually, this is on the. This might surprise you. Red zone carries per a red zone percentage of red zone carries. Ken Walker was actually eighth in the NFL, and Travis Etienne was fourteenth in red zone carry uh, percentage. So okay. they were up there. Austin Eckler was number one. But let's go over to inside okay, so the car- five. Yeah, attempts inside the five-yard line. Uh, among, I have it right here as well, among yeah. running backs that had at least nine carries inside uh, the five-yard line. Uh, Walker, one touchdown on nine carries. ETN, two touchdowns on ten carries. Nobody else in that group had less than had less than four except for Najee Harris who had three on nine carries. So like yeah, it's it was, you know, was kind of a rough one for them at the goal line. The t- t- touchdown percentage is low. I mean, technically inside the five, um I'm looking at PFF here, inside the five, Etienne had the eighth most carries inside the five, but had a not great, like 60% touchdown percentage. So the conversion rate was not very high, uh, though he did have, um, what is this here? Yeah, and then Walker was quite a bit lower. He had a much worse uh, percentage and he had 10. And yeah, it, I mean, to your point, you had these teams with, they were attempting to give these guys that movement. It wasn't super successful. And then they brought in players to take away from that. I guess I just haven't been able to get away from the explosiveness of a guy like Travis Etienne, who Etienne was only one of six backs last year to average over five yards per carry. The other crew is pretty good. DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Tony Pollard, Nick Chubb were those type of players. But you know, bringing in competition does bring in a big question. I'm an Etienne guy, and I think he's going to become a little bit more of a discount, but I understand, and it's been all season long where people have been questioning, you know, what is... What is he really going to do? Sharp um, Tank Bigsby seems like the guy, and then Tank having a big old breakout run leads to the question. So we're not really helping anybody. I'm an ETN guy. You're not an ETN guy. That is the Jags, though, in a nutshell. Takes us over to the Colts. Anthony Richardson. I have never seen him rank inside the top 12. Yet, in everything I've done... I've never seen him go outside the top 12 because a strategy I've talked a decent amount about is 
with Anthony Richardson, if you've missed out on the top guys, you can take him around 10 to lock him in for the upside, and then you can go and piggyback with an Aaron Rodgers. You know, you can piggyback with a Geno Smith. You can get a safety net that goes with him, so you play the upside. So is that something that you're into? Yet no one will actually rank him inside of there. So if you miss that top core, are you wanting to work this strategy? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's it's funny how that works, but I I, I totally get it. And if I'm, you know, if I kind of let the first nine or ten quarterbacks go by, and I'm looking at my number, you know, eleven or twelve in in a twelve team league. Like it does make sense to draft Anthony Richardson because of all those guys left, there is that Cam Cam Newton rookie upside, right? Like he could, you know, he could catch lightning in a bottle right away. And if he gets the job in week one, like just the rushing upside alone um, can carry you a long way. We saw that with Justin Fields last year, so we know that. Um, but there's enough guys with much higher floors. There's a big group of them. You just mentioned it. Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, you know, Geno Smith, all these guys right there. And who cares which one of those guys you get? Because they're just going to give you those serviceable, solid back-end QB1-ish numbers. So take the backup that has the potential to really be a top-six quarterback if the stars align right because he's that much potential. And the worst, I think, you know, you look at Josh Allen coming out of, you know, at his first rookie year and he I think he played 12 games, and he was a horrible passer, but he ran for eight touchdowns, and he put up some good rushing numbers. And I think he netted out at like right at like QB 20 or 21. So I I don't think that Anthony Richardson's floor is that low, really. If he gets 12, 13 starts in, I think you're looking at something similar to that. But if he's a better passer than we expected, it could be much more. Just think he's such the it's it's such a fake out. It just it, it never happens in drafts. But maybe those are the type of people I'm drafting in because even the consensus ADP, Richardson is going off as his 16th quarterback. He is ADP 16 on ESPN, 19 on Yahoo right now. And I just think the upside of those other players, it's it's just it's well, crazy a, I mean, high. It's a, it's a lottery ticket, and you don't rank lottery tickets as as hitting you rank for posterity, right? Like you rank to be closer to right. And I think there's a greater chance that he's going to be QB 16 to 20 than to be QB six. But he also has a greater chance to be QB six than all those guys that you'd be taking uh, that you rank him, that you rank kind of in that 12 to 16 range. But also like, I think this happens every year where there's a handful of players that, their rank does not equate to how they're drafted, even for the person. People will like, this is how I rank the guys, but then when push comes to shove, they don't actually draft like him. And I and I rank also how I draft. And obviously, positionally, things change. So just because I have a, a back here, that's why you wouldn't fall like an overall list. If I don't need a back, I would go to wide receiver. But I think it's also important to be ranking players in the value system of how you would draft them. You could easily say like, oh, well, I'll, I don't need to have him at 12 because I don't need to take him at 12, but you do. So I think it's just interesting pinpointing those players that it's every year. It's four to six guys that they do not equal. Their rank in ADP does not equal out because of whatever reasons. It's the fear factor. It's the trying to be right, trying not to take too much of a shot on it. I just never see Anthony Richardson last past QB 12. He's always a QB one. And I, I think it's interesting that the ranks aren't reflective of it. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny. Like, I'll rank at the beginning of the of the season. But you're right. Once you're in a draft, that's when you should you should do a couple drafts and then rank because yes. that's that's where you really end up going. You know what? Yeah, I don't feel I don't feel that way the way I ranked. I actually feel differently because I got put on the clock and I was like I had my choice between these guys and I went with this guy and my rankings say otherwise. But I do that all the time and it's like it's a totally. good way to kind of like get your rankings to to be a little bit And more, that's part of like yeah. the process over time. Like I'll do my research before, I'll do an initial rank then I start drafting and then that's where things really change because it's like, well, I know I'm taking this guy over this guy. So it's trying to find the most reflective of your drafting habits as well. The last thing we talked about this last week, Jake kind of pushed this off. I do think we need to retackle it because it's another week forward. Uh, The Jonathan Taylor saga, 
Jonathan Taylor, the injury thing was big where he's he's got an ankle issue, but then he was saying he's not. The team's saying he is. They're at a stalemate. It looks gross. He's left. It's a messy situation. And we can easily sit here and say, oh, well, we think it'll get figured out. This is what players do by the start of the season. But how are you approaching Jonathan Taylor if you are drafting this weekend? How would you approach with everything that's going on with him? Yeah, I'm, I'm steering clear. I mean, it's interesting. We had to. I had to, It was in the flex draft, and I was sitting next to Rob Waziak, um, Fancy Life, and we were. So we were. I picked fourth. He picked third. Uh, it was coming back to us in the fourth round, super flex. But like hardly, it had been like the top eight running backs had sort of emptied out, and the number eight running back was Ramondre Stevenson. But like, if you look at the running backs that got selected in maybe a 12-pick range. It was just Ramondre Stevenson. People did not want to hit that Jonathan Taylor button, you know? So Taylor was still there. Taylor, Taylor was, was still, still there, there. with and, okay. and Wozniak, and so I had to pick ahead of Wozniak, and he's like, he leaned over to me, he said, you know, me or you is probably going to have to be the ones making this decision on this. And it just so happened that I was like, there was one wide receiver left that I wanted. It was Devonta Smith. And I was like, you know what? I will be fine with whatever running back comes back to me. So but Devonta I didn't want Smith to, over Jonathan Taylor. I took Devonta Smith over Jonathan Taylor because I didn't want to. I didn't want to like I, you know, I might lose out on that in the overall. But I'm going to lose out so much compared to like if things just continued to go sideways with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. So I pushed it off to him. He took him at nine. Funny thing is, is Josh Jacobs is getting the same treatment, and I got Josh Jacobs two rounds later uh, one wow in the sixth round of a super flex Hold on. i got him uh so i got him so i skipped on jonathan taylor but then i went Najee harris Brees hall joe mixon and i got josh jacobs on the comeback so that would have been 9 10 11 12 that jacobs at 13 so you're getting treatment from that from both of them i felt better about taking the risk on jacobs the next round later uh with probably similar upside if they both returning and, and get back to what they, you know, what, what get back to business. So I just think you can't, you can't not move him in the rankings. People are avoiding him and there's, there's good reason for it. It's a kind of a convoluted mess between these two guys, uh, between Taylor and the team. So, um, yeah, yeah, there could be missed games. There could be weird stuff happening. So, um, I moved, I moved Taylor down to, I think nine at RB, um, I'm much higher than most on like Tony Pollard or Nick Chubb. So those are easier decisions in consensus ADP. Jonathan Taylor has moved down to five and Jacobs down to nine. So but, it is not necessarily reflective of well, what's going the on. Well, here's the deal. I feel like if you take Josh Jacobs, there's a much clearer handcuff. Like Zamir white to me feels like, okay, that's the guy I want yeah. to make sure I get what, well, like, you, what the hell do you what do, you do with, with Yeah. Evan what do you Hall? do as Zach, Zach Moss at Kenyon Drake or whatever? Like, it's Zach Moss, I think, broke his arm. So yeah, it was Kenyon Drake. I mean, Zach are we? I mean, been down that road before as as like yeah. the handcuff guy. I mean, that doesn't yeah, that doesn't do anything for me. So um, I would much rather have like have Zamir White as a backup to Josh Jacobs. Get him a little bit later and know that if Jacobs doesn't play, I feel like there's kind of a guy that's going to be the main volume guy there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's move over to the NFC as we uh, stay down south, starting with the Carolina Panthers, who are kind of messy. I don't really, I, I don't think any of them were actually particularly interesting to ask. So what I threw out to you is what you think Bryce Young does for this offense. Is Bryce Young viable in Superflex? The, the pseudo question for me became like, Adam Thielen is probably the cheapest wide receiver one in fantasy right now. And we know what he was before, but it's a rookie wide receiver and probably pretty gross situation. So it's like, Will Bryce Young be able to lift this offense up? And if he does, that would, in theory, make him super flex viable. But what say you? Yeah, I think I have him ranked like QB 20, 21. I think he's viable in super flex. 
you know, I wouldn't be super excited. To me, he comes across as for a rookie, like he could be serviceable. You know, not huge rushing upside. Don't love the receiving core, although I do like Jonathan Mingo. I would, you know, I would roll dice late on him. I like his skill set. But, um, yeah, a DJ Chark, people are trying to push DJ Chark as, like, being rejuvenated and being a guy that could be a big player in this offense. I'm like, ah, gosh, I feel like I've been down that road before, too. Um, Thielen's old, so, like, Terrace Marshall, Jonathan Mingo, I mean – yeah, I, I grasping at straws here. I feel like a grasping at straws. I think, I think Bryce Young's fine, but I I'm not going out of my way to like I that's going to be my QB two in a super flex. You know, I'm pretty into Miles Sanders. I am year, too. I, I am too. Yeah. Um, okay, good. I'm, and I'm glad I'm not the only could one. Just actually, because like he'll be the guy. Yeah, I was I was like editing a Salfino story. He brought up the fact that like, uh, it was it wasn't last year? Maybe it was the year before. He had three catches or five catches of thirty plus yards, and like at that time, seven in a season was the most by a running back in NFL history. So, like that could be you know you talk about the safety net of a rookie like Miles Sanders in the passing game. He has the skill set, maybe not as utilized to the max in the past. Although I think he has a fifty catch season uh, with Philly, like. We could really see that amped up in addition to the fact that he'll be the main ball carrier there. 49 carries once the Eagles got inside the red zone. Now, very different offense, so it's really <laughs> hard to look at things that he did last year with what he'll do this year. But to the point, 49 carries in the red zone was the fourth most of any running back. So when they got in there, bam, 10 touchdowns came in the red zone for him, seven of which came inside the five. So um, pretty I mean, interesting. He had a 50% touchdown rate on carries, at least according to PFF, 14 carries inside the five, seven of which were touchdowns. And I believe that was tied for fourth most in the NFL of running back. So you know what this team is going to do when they get inside the five and they know what they're getting out of him in the red zone. So, you know, is is not sexy as he might be as far as the offense goes. He's probably going to be a, primary focal point when they get inside the red zone because that is what he did last year and that's where he thrives yeah and he's the guy that i think is what is he like rb20 or something i I think 19 on on the adp list i'm not sure he should and i like aaron jones but like i'm not sure i i kind of like him more than you know etn and jameer gibbs and kenneth walker and i have him kind of right there with aaron jones like i have him at rb16 um so I'm a little bit higher. I think I have met 17. I like Aaron Jones a lot more, but to the rest of the crew, I agree with you. I don't know if it's, well, I don't have him ahead of Aaron Jones, but I think they're, I, I don't like him a lot more than Miles Sanders. I'll just say that, but I do like Aaron Jones. Yeah. Uh, moving over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How does Rashad white not become an RB two in your eyes? Look, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. Like this offense is so, bankrupt that they just don't aren't on the field enough they don't get enough scoring opportunities but like it's pretty much ready-made and like the Leonard Fournette's and the Ezekiel Elliott's like and Cream Hunt now is off the board because he went to New Orleans but um like those guys are yeah I was gonna say like a back coming in would be a problem I think those guys are pretty spent I I think Rashad White is has been weathering the depth chart storm to this point I don't see it changing I think they're set to go in with him so, good Lord, he could have a ton of catches um, and just give him And a- here's the fun thing. ADP 28 at RB. There's so, no he is not ranked as an RB2. There's, I agree I, with I have got I, him at I haven't seen 22? him in any, like, quote-unquote experts drafts going that late. He's pretty, pretty much a top 25 running back. Yeah, I've got him, I think, at 22 or 23 on RBs. He's a target. He is the player I wrote up. In the Athletic uh, Fantasy Football magazine, which yeah. you can go check out on newsstands right now. Go check that out. He's one of the sleepers that uh, I have got in there. So I'm very big on him. And I weathered the storm of being silly to write him up like that because I had to dodge all these RB bullets. And so far, we've dodged them. The only other arguments people say are like, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn or you do have Sean Tucker. You know, you got these guys, but like Rashad White was such an effective pass catcher. They want to keep him on the field. And you know, the, the other pseudo question is like Baker Mayfield has struggled in camp and that's pretty well known. You could also ask, you know, how much further down do the pass catchers move down in this offense? You know, Godwin seems to still be favored, but Mike Evans has fallen like a rock. 
So, I mean, is, you know, is Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask, whoever the quarterback is, is it really going to demolish this offense that these value guys might actually become worse? You know, if they can't move the ball, Rashad White in 19 carries for 54 yards and two catches for eight yards is going to be trash. And Mike Evans, everyone, you know, hey, you want to target him because he's in the 30s. But if they can't get the ball to him, you know, is the quarterback going to make these good offensive weapons much worse than we're ready for? Uh, remains to be seen with some, you know, I think it's the timing and the stuff with Chris Godwin and stuff can be interesting, but God, Mike Evans has been really good with some bad quarterback play in, in Tampa. I mean, I'm thinking like Mike, he knows how to do bad quarterbacks. Yeah. Mike Glennon. Uh, there was some moments with, with James, James Winston, but there were some bad moments too. And Mike Evans has always kind of been consistently there. I get him dropping, but I, I wonder if he's fallen a little bit too far. Um, 33 ADP wide yeah. receivers. And to me, like once I get outside the top 25, I might just be willing to say, you know what? Mike Evans is a power forward athletic stud. And sometimes I just willing to bet on that. And, um, you know, if they're smart, they figure out ways to throw the ball up and let him go up and get it. Over in Atlanta, you have to invest uh, this will be interesting because I don't know your take on this. Who are you investing in as the pass catcher? Drake London or Kyle Pitts? So Drake London, we know, is like essentially back end of wide receiver two between 23 and 25 somewhere. Kyle Pitts is relatively tight end five. You have to invest in one of these pass catchers in one of the most run-heavy offenses with a quarterback that looks dicey in Desmond Ritter. Who are you investing in? Uh, probably Drake London. Not really excited about investing in either one of them. Um you know, this is going to be one, you know, one of the most run-heavy teams in the league last year. It's Arthur Smith, obviously, with the, the Tennessee lineage there, um, and you got Bijan Robinson coming in. We know they're going to use him in the passing game a lot, but I, I just like, you know, looking at what happened last year with Desmond Ritter. I like the way Drake London finished the year. I mean, seventy-five catches and like what, eight hundred and seventy-seven r- yards as a rookie in a, in one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league that's pretty good and um yeah i mean take a little step up from that you and he's he's basically right on the number that you you're picking him at so it's not that hard to imagine with desmond ritter for a full season that he takes a little step forward and he could take an even bigger step forward do you think that i feel like the atlanta falcons have the most buzzy fantasy players with one of the worst quarterbacks. Uh, I know Jake is kind of a Desmond Ritter guy. Bogman affectionately calls him Desmond Mitter. Um, <laughs> but like you've got three insanely buzzed players that it's like they can't all succeed under Ritter unless Ritter takes this huge step up and this team is awesome. But like when you look at Bijan, you look at Drake, you look at Kyle Pitts, if you throw Bijan into this, I know we've kind of done this before, but like, when you're talking about value of picking, are you heavily invested in Bijan at the very tippy top of a draft, like three or four overall, even though they got Algier and everything like, like where's the value? Where, where is the investment in this team? Do you have to have Bijan if he costs a top five pick? You know, do you have to have Drake London? If he's a top 20 pick, do you have to have Kyle Pitts? If he's a top four tight end, I kind of moved everybody up a notch, but like, what would you, what would be your decision if you had to lock in one of those above value? Um, it would, you know, it's funny. I like, I'll just, I'll try to answer your question, but I think you just made the point for Ritter in like a super flex, uh, you know, as, yeah. you know, as the upside QB three, I think he's awesome. You know, like, could he be better than Bryce young? He could be a lot better for all the reasons you just state. He have some awesome weapons. That's just, that's just a bunch of feathers in Ritter's cap. You know, they're all those guys we, we were talking about here are fighting for, fighting for touches from the hand of Desmond Ritter. And like, it's, it makes it a kind of a, you know, hard to fail completely situation. And if Desmond Ritter is mid as Bogman would say, that's great. He just has to not be bad. If he's mid, he's yeah. probably good. Jared Goff was, was good in fantasy being mid. He's kind of made a career out of it, you know? Um, so just put some weapons around him and he actually, it works. So I, um, I think Bijan, I mean, with, with Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs and the stuff that's going on there, like, I don't mind pushing Bijan to the, you know, right up there, right after CMC. I don't, I don't mind that. 
thinking, uh, you know, Ritter for Jake and Bogman's Mitter. I have a nickname for Desmond Ritter if he's really bad, but I won't say it on this podcast because it's a family I, show. I, I, so. I thought of that as well. Uh, we'll hey, see. you probably saw me smirking here. All right, so uh, <laughs> let's end with the New Orleans Saints here as our final one. Chris Olave, wide receiver one. Yay or nay? Top 12? Like top 12, yes. I think I'm 13 or 14, so... Um, I would say no then, I guess, by the by the book. Uh, the interesting thing, and again, I'll reference Michael Sofino since I saw him in, in New York, and he's big on A dot. Like, there's a Goldilocks spot. Like, if you're going to be an alpha, you don't want to be like the guy who's getting like six yards of A dot. You know, you don't want to be the guy who's getting 14. You want to be the guy that's 9 to 12 because you're kind of – you're in a chain-moving area. You can be heavily targeted in that range, but also – put up some decent numbers. It won't, you know, you're not uh, taking baby steps. Um, Chris Olave's a dot was, was out of that range by, by a good amount. I think he was like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, something in that range. So he can be, we saw him at Ohio state. He can be kind of that, a, a guy that can work the, you know, the mid range area, be a good route runner, but they're going to have to change his role a little bit for that case. And if Michael Thomas is healthy, maybe they don't. And I think that's probably what would limit his volume upside is if he continues to be more of that downfield option for the Saints. And he's definitely going to be that. He had the 14th best dot of wide receivers, though. You do have to parse out some players like Demir Bird, Justin Watson, Tutu Atwell, Keelan Cole. You know, that's for probably Byron Pringle. You want to take that out, then he becomes nine. It was just under 15, 14. If you have it up, like, look at the heavily, look at the guys in the nine to 12 range in A dot, because I think what you're going to see is a lot of the true league alphas are in that range. Just under 10. You've got Devontae Smith, 9.9, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, 9.85. Uh, Christian Kirk, 9.75. You move down a little bit more, you see Keenan Allen. So, I mean, again, what you're saying is as far as depth of target, it's not just stretching the field. Uh, you know, Lave is a you big play option, but... do a ton of volume stretching the field if that's all, you, if that's all your role is. Like, you need yeah, to be a guy it, that they're looking to convert third and seven to. Like, just, yeah, across, and, and just across the chains. If you go into the 10 range, the 10-11 you you see some big names in here. Garrett Wilson was ten point nine nine. DeAndre Hopkins ten point seven two. So I think it's that nine to eleven is your A dot sweet spot for some of the elite guys. It though the focal point for a lot of people on A dot will sometimes be is this guy you know is the depth of the reception big enough that they can handle lower volume to be a big play option, and it's there. But, you know, I named a bunch of garbage players that have a high A dot. The other guys just above him are like Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, Gabe Davis. That's a type, by the way. Gabe Davis, George Pickens, those are a type of player. You don't, you want, don't want Chris Olave to be that. Yeah, exactly. But you also don't want him to be yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster either. So, like you said, there's a Goldilocks spot. Salfino calls it 9 to 12. You're saying 9 to 11 by looking at it right now. But it is kind of that general range where you want to be sitting if you want to truly you know, have a chance to be a wide receiver one. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating point, too, when you look across there. So you can, the, the thing that he does have working in favor, if you started playing with math, is if you're, if you're also looking at, like, the yards per target, which kind of play into the mm-hmm. dot as, as well. Because then you're getting in the top guys. You see, like, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddell uh, were both in the 11 to 12s. They're in the top 10. And, you know, he's down here in, in a little bit more of a sweet spot into the nines. He's like top 30. He was 36 in the league of yards per target. But he had the same yards per target as C.D. Lamb uh, with just a much bigger A dot. Yeah. Uh, the last one is the running back situation with the Saints because as we're recording this, Kareem Hunt has just signed. You've got Kendra Miller, who's a very popular option. Jamal Williams is the touchdown hog. And Alvin Kamara is only suspended for three games. So what do you do with the saints running back situation? Well, I took in the flex draft. I took Alvin Kamara in the seventh round. Um, I thought three games was half of what he should have got. Like you watch that video and he's, you know, it's like, that seems like a six game suspension right there in my mind. So I thought that was like surprisingly low for him. Um, And it's, I think it kind of allowed, like you get into midway into the season and, and Jamal Williams and maybe Kendra Miller have kind of settled into roles. And if they're doing well, 
you're like, okay, well, then they're going to bring him back and maybe they're going to slow play him a little bit. But I feel like week three is early enough that Kamara can come back and be the main weapon in that in that backfield. So, um, yeah, I, I draft him there because I think what we're going to see is it's it's his ADP is going to start rising. I think we're going to start seeing people buy more and more into him. I think I caught it just right in the flex draft. I wouldn't expect him in two weeks from now to be going that But low. did you move Jamal down and his Kendra move down as well? Like I know you were saying off air that you kind of felt the cream hunt thing might be a nothing burger. I don't know, man. I don't know if, I mean, that's a talented back. I'm not sure they just brought in for nothing, but like you can't have all four of these guys. So is it, I guess, is it like, is it become because it's all messy? Is it become Alvin Kamara and then everyone else is kind of ancillary, not interested or, you know, is there another guy that you can look at? I think about Kareem Hunt that he could end up still getting cut. I don't – I'd be – I mean, and maybe he, he lasts as long as, as Alvin Kamara's suspension and then he's gone. But, you know, you started to listen to some of the stuff. And I – coming out of Cleveland, that they thought he was washed. And you go back to last year, he kind of looked washed. I, I did not remember him putting up many highlights that I thought were impressive. I loved the guy early in his career and even early in his career in Cleveland. Um but I think there's a reason why they moved on and didn't even think about bringing him back and are willing to go with, like, Jerome Ford as a backup. Like, I think Cream Hunt's mostly done. So, Kendry Miller, I honestly, other than watching some videos, I don't, I, don't, I don't know him too much. He could be a guy that surprises if given an opportunity. I think we know what Jamal Williams is. And certainly he could establish himself in a similar role as in Detroit. But Alvin Kamara is actually really good around the goal line too. So, I wouldn't, like – expect New Orleans to completely just wholesale give that job to Jamal Williams. Especially on the receiving side. Be interesting if they run some two back sets. Get mm-hmm. Jamal and Alvin Kamara because you can you can really do some crazy stuff. Play action to Jamal inside the five and then throw it outside to Alvin Kamara. Those are two explosive guys inside the five if you want to play it. And that finishes the division series. We just looked at some of the biggest questions across each team doing uh, the north, the south, the east, the west as we've gone on. And that is going to lead us into more fun, probably rank episodes will be coming through. We will huddle once we find where in the world is Jake Seeley. Once we find him, we'll uh, get together. We'll uh, lock out the last episodes until we get into in-season stuff, which should be very fun. So make sure that you go check out at theathletic.com. Go and sign up. Get all of Jake's stuff. The um, adjustable projections are great. His ranks, always working on them. One of the most accurate rankers out there. There's no reason not to. So a couple bucks, go get locked in. You can find him on Twitter at All In Kid, Brandon at Brandon Funds, and myself at Is It The Welsh. Make sure you subscribe because we will talk to you next week right here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Bye, friends.